I invite you to join in prayer. Loving God, illumine our hearts, inspire our will, unite our community, empower our witness, deepen our love. For the sake of Christ, we pray, amen. Before the scripture reading is read, just a few words of of introduction. It's been observed that the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the Trinity. You know, the God the Father and Jesus the Son are always invited to the ball, but often it seems it's the Holy Spirit who is left at home, as it were. Except today. Today, Pentecost, where we try to make up for that, Pentecost, uh, a Jewish uh, holiday that was 50 days after Passover to celebrate the completion of the harvest and also came to be known as a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses on Sinai. And now 50 days after Easter, a celebration of the gift of the Spirit. There is a Hebrew prayer that goes, as the deer longs For streams of water, so my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for the living God. It is this thirst for a direct experience of the living God, this breath of life, that is our focus today. Though fraught with dynamism and danger, It is the mysticism that begins all great religions. If you look at the front of the bulletin, I I I refer you to the quote from Frederick Buechner that talks about no matter how fancy or profound theology can be, it always begins with something that has happened to somebody. And so I've invited... Uh, Mary Elizabeth Ballantyne and Gina Boone and Penny Cunningham to uh, come up and join together in reading the scripture in a way that may help us to to share the experience uh, that occurred on that first day of Pentecost in the church. So uh, they'll be reading in other languages. You can follow along in English so you know what they're saying. And let us now listen for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 于是他们都被圣灵充满，就照着圣灵赐给他们的话，开始说出别种语言。Or il y avait en ces jours à Jérusalem des Juifs, hommes pieux, venus de toutes les nations qui sont sur le ciel. À ce bruit, ils accoururent en foule, et ils furent stupéfaits parce que chacun les entendait parler dans sa propre langue. 
Völlig erstaunt fragten sie, ob nicht alle die Galiläer sprechen. Wie kommt es denn, dass jeder von uns sie in seiner Muttersprache hört? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Women do Tinjian, Tamayung woman, the Yuan, Susur Shen Wei Dada Zoway. Einige machten sich jedoch darüber lustig und sagten, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know how many languages you studied in school. I seem to only study the languages that no one spoke anymore, which doesn't do a lot of good, but it was so cool to uh, uh, hear the gifts of other people. The pandemic has uh, been an edu educational experience for us. It's been like three consecutive semesters of learning about human perseverance and the meaning of community and how we affect each other and about medical research and disinformation and how our choices uh, in, in all of our personal and individual freedom may be limited by the public good. All of these things we've learned, but here's another thing we've learned. We've learned how air in motion, breath, can send particles across space making us subject to contagions. Who knew? We've worn masks. We've refrained from expelling our breath by in cheering or shouting or singing. We've learned that breath, wind, spirit, all the same word in Hebrew, ruach, can be infectious. I guess we've always learned that a spirit can be infectious. When you go to a, a game and you're rooting for your team and the crowd is going crazy, it's, it's an infectious feeling. And when you go to a funeral of a young person in the community who has been killed and you, you can feel the infectious sense of grief, and sadness and bewilderment. You can feel the sense of uh, a rage or hope that a, that a political leader can give you at a rally or at a protest. Yes, spirits are contagious. So it begs the question, obviously, here, is anyone in danger of catching a Holy Spirit here. I ask this question of myself and of us not to accuse 
or to scold, believe me, more so out of concern for us. Because you are folks who tend to have a lot of responsibility. You lead other people. You set examples. You get a lot done. And so because you're that kind of people, it would be easy to miss the importance of the, the inner experience of the spirit in the Christian life. Because we know that fundamentally being a Christian is not a list of responsibilities or a performance. We know that. And in our Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, we've always struggled with this, this balance of knowing God in our heads and experiencing God in our hearts. John Calvin said, as long as Christ remains outside of us, we are separated from him. Did you know that? That he actually had an inner life. He wasn't just all in his head. But in our history as a church, we've emphasized a great deal the intellectual understanding of the Christian faith. Back in the Great Awakening in the early 18th century, there was this big controversy called the old side versus the new side. And in the old side, they, of course, focused on good theology, on things being decently in order, on the ability to describe God and to define God and to control the, the, the means of salvation in an orderly way. And of course, then the, the new side were these people that said, no, we've got to have an experience of the holy. It's order versus ardor. And so the, the new side wanted this, this personal experience. They almost felt that anything that was planned and orderly could not be of the spirit. It's got to be spontaneous. And of course, the people who on the old side said, spontaneous, how could you be so irresponsible? And so they were suspicious of, of anything that smacked of manipulating people's feelings or might even ask people to act fake enthusiastic. I want you to think back. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here, but I want you to think back to your first kiss. I'm not even sure this counts as my first kiss, but I'm going to say it was middle school with Cheryl. <laughs> and Cheryl sat in front of me in Latin class. See, I told you I took these, these languages that nobody speaks. She sat right in front of me, and I spent months staring at the back of her neck. And she was really cute, I thought, and, and I wondered how in the world will I ever strike up a conversation with the back of her neck. It never happened, but it did so happen that St. Andrew's Episcopal Church on Lone Star Road would have these Friday night dances in their fellowship hall. Picture Bittinger, Friday night dances, live bands, and so we would show up, and of course, middle school, what do we do? The boys are over here and the girls are over here. It's just as awkward as can be. 
you know, I'm there with my friends, but I had no, you know, I, I just wanted to protect myself, really, and not look like an idiot. And so one time, Cheryl just, is, she's, she comes over and gives me a peck on the cheek, just out of the blue. And, you know, I was just on a cloud. I, I, you know, I just sort of floated right out of that fellowship hall and, and floated all the way back home. It was amazing. Now, nothing ever came of it, okay? I never really talked to her. We never danced. I mean, that, but it didn't matter. I had that, that experience that changed how I viewed Cheryl. Now, for the long run, it didn't change much of anything. Okay, but the point is, there's something vastly different about staring at a person's backside of their head all day versus having a kiss. You see that. And so I'm asking us, what kind of experience of intimacy are we seeking with the one who made us? You know, we can go through church for years avoiding that kind of intimacy and structuring things so, we do, so we're safe because there really is some danger and loss of control when we have that kind of experience. This original Pentecost experience in Acts that is talked about, the disciples were gathered there in a room together waiting, waiting for what they didn't know. They weren't in control of this. There was no schedule they were just there, and then something like wind and fire and languages came, all natural phenomena, but in an unnatural way. It wasn't wind, it was something like wind. It wasn't fire, it's something that looked like fire. These languages, how did they come about? I mean, there were really basically three types of people in Jerusalem. There were the local inhabitants, and then there were all of the immigrants the Jewish people that had come from all over the Mediterranean world who were there. And then there was this little group of Galileans in this room. Galileans were, you know, from up north. They spoke with a, a funny accent. They were uneducated rubes. They were rednecks, what we would call them. And so how could these rednecks, uneducated, now be speaking suddenly all of these foreign languages? How could that happen? And so the entire experience is filled with amazement and ambiguity. How often are we open to that kind of experience in our own lives? I know for myself it's, it's somehow comforting to feel that I have things figured out with God and to feel that I have my own life figured out. So... Is there room for ambiguity and something amaze, amazing to happen in me? In all of the busyness and all of the good deeds that we do, in what sense could we say that we still experience the power of the Spirit? When we're contented, when things are going smoothly, we tend not to really look for much from God. But as we see with these disciples, 
when they have failed, when there is tragedy, when there is betrayal and pain and fear, we tend to ask, God, where are you? Where are you? Langston Hughes says, there are cracks in everything. That's how the light gets in. And so our story tells us that the experience of God's presence happens when we least expect it. Saul on the road from Damascus to go uh, arrest some more Christians. A woman at a well just going out to get some water. Moses just doing his job tending his flocks. In whatever unexpected time and place, that's when it seems God meets us. The Holy Spirit was given to all of them, not just to a leader, not just for a short time, but extravagantly. Not some kind of exotic, weird thing, uh, not a private inner experience, but something given to the whole community, this experience of God's presence. They moved from a locked room out into the streets. And the experience tells us that this shaped and launched what we call the church. We're not here because we voluntarily decide that we agree about religion or anything else. That is not what brings us here. The church is launched and birthed by an experience of the holy. That is what births the church. And that is the continual experience that the church feeds off of or drinks off of, if you will. The Spirit empowers us to cross boundaries and go through barriers of race and ethnicity, economic status, gender identity, and nationality. That is why we go to Haiti, or if we can't go, we send our money. That is why we go to West Riverside Elementary to have lunch with a child. Not because we're taking the Spirit with us, it's because the Spirit is there. The Spirit is there. And it is not my area of expertise to talk about immigration policy and macroeconomics, but it is clear from this text that the good news is meant for everyone and that the Holy Spirit is on both sides of every border and every door. And the people on either side are sisters and brothers in Christ. And that should matter in some way. If you ask me if Jesus literally raised Lazarus from the dead, literally walked on water, literally changed water into wine, William Sloan Coughlin said this, Coffin said this, he said, I will answer, for certain, I don't know. But this I do know. 
Faith must be lived before it is understood. And the more it is lived, the more all things become possible. So, beloved children, may we experience, may we seek and be open to that beloved spirit that unites us so that we know that we are children of the Most High. Christ has given everything to be with us and sends us forth to share the good news in deeds and in words. Thanks be to God. Amen.